Welcome to the Elite Foundations podcast, how to build an elite foundation physically and mentally to win at life. No theory, just real world results. Your hosts are Dr. Emil, ex-emergency doctor, entrepreneur, and health coach, and myself, Itamar, ex-Israeli special forces, jiu-jitsu black belt, and mindset expert. Welcome to today's episode, guys. Today, Emil will be walking us through the two processes within fat loss. So Emil, take it away. Awesome. So let's do this. Now, I've titled this episode, The Two Processes Within Fat Loss, but it's somewhat of a misnomer. Fat loss is just the surface level thing that people often try to achieve when they start on a health transformation. And part of the reason is the aesthetics of it. People like to look a certain way. And in modern society, having less body fat is kind of a marker of that. Um, But also we're heavily marketed fat loss. So it's unsurprising that that's something that we look for. Now, fat loss is the surface level thing. And really what we're talking about is a health transformation. That's the kind of the bigger picture. But underlying all of this is behavior change. So habits, behaviors, shifting identity. And that's the real magic of this process. That's the real thing that we need to achieve. And I'll be getting into that a little bit more in a moment. And this is the area that Itamar is an expert in. So it'll be excellent to get his insights and to find out what he thinks. And maybe we can all learn something today. Sounds good. Before we get going, can I ask one question? Please do. Yeah. Did you feel compelled to use the word misnomer because I didn't mention you as Dr. Emil and you wanted to show expertise here? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I couldn't resist. I, I couldn't resist. I'm sorry. Large words. Let's I'll keep going. I'll continue to use large words like exacerbate until you acknowledge my title. Okay, guys, Dr. Um, Emil is on the mic. So let's keep going, you. man. Thank you. Um, and just for full disclosure, this is about the seventh time we've started. Six of them have been because of Itamar. One this of them has been because of me. And I'm not just saying this to take the piss, but um, you did have a good question last time yeah. when we were on our last take, which I'd like you to repeat. Yeah, so the question I asked was that beyond fat loss being something that people desire, looks good and so on and so on, it does feel like to me that it should be the first step in health because if you're walking around with 20 pounds or 40 pounds on you excess weight, that is gonna be exhausting. So like you can't really achieve peak life or elite performance, whatever you wanna call it, if that's just weighing you down, literally. Yeah, yeah, you're entirely right. Um, I think fat loss is the most obvious marker and cor- cor- correlation with health, right? You can see it, you can weigh it, measure it very, very easily, but it's just a small part of the bigger health picture. For example, blood markers, risk of heart disease, all these other things. So yes, it is important to lose fat and to be a healthy body weight, body fat level, but it is only a small part of the bigger picture. And so it's a small part of health, and then it's it's only the physical part of the, the entire transformation, which is the, the second process, as it were. Let me ask this, though. Should it be the first part, though? Is this the, like, while it's a small part, should it be the first part that's addressed? So within the industry right now, there's a kind of a movement, a sensitivity um, of people kind of lashing back against this kind of social media, super shredded, uh, Photoshop culture. And in the collateral there, fat loss has been kind of caught up in it. And there's this kind of health at every size kind of concept where they're basically saying it doesn't matter what your body weight is, you can still be healthy. Now, 
I don't think science agrees with that. I think if you are very, very overweight, then you do increase the risk of lots and lots of lifestyle conditions. You can be healthy in the moment, even with excess body fat. However, the risk in the future of bad things happening is significantly higher. So I'm being kind of a little bit careful and sensitive to not to not put people off, to be to be inclusive and all this kind of stuff. Do you mind But, if I be a bit less sensitive and inclusive? Always, always. <laughs> so I, I think it's like, I don't know anything about the long-term health effects and all that kind of jazz, but a big reason we do this podcast when we're talking about health is because it gives you the tool to live an amazing life. Like health is a tool, it's a foundational pillar for an amazing life. And the simple reality is, I'll be very hard to be convinced that if you're carrying around 40 pounds on your body every single day, you can really live an amazing life because you're gonna be exhausted. Like I remember walking around with sandbags or just like, you know, a weighted vest in the military and all that, it's exhausting. If that's a part of your life, yeah. you're not gonna be able to live at your full potential because you're just gonna be exhausted. Simple as that. 100%, 100%, I agree with you entirely. However, if by going in super hard on fat loss, and you know how negative it is, if that puts people off and closes people off to the concept, then it's a net loss. So it's true, but if that language and that kind of uh, forwardness puts people off, then it's a difficult situation because then they're not receptive to, to change. Do you think it's Now, that language? It's a balance. Yeah, so let, let me, sorry, I do think this is important because you were saying that it's a big deal that people see people shredded on Instagram. And that's a very binary yeah. thing to say either you're obese or you're shredded on the gram. There's also a place yeah. where you're just, you're not fat. You're not maybe, you know, have six pack popping out, but you're not carrying yeah. excess weight that's weighing you down anymore. This is the nature of social media. There's no gray. It's black or white. It's polarized. So if you're not shredded and trying to be an Instagram model, then you're, you're fat. And, and what they're saying is that that's okay. Obviously in real life, there's nuance. And yes, there's this huge middle area of people who are healthy body weights um, and not shredded. And actually, that's the goal with the vast, vast majority of the people I work with, just to get healthy. As you say, it's the greater transformation. It's not only fat, but it's, it's blood markers. It's uh, being fit. It's being able to function at a high level. And it's also this behavior change identity shift, which is, again, the second process. So just to kind of high level summarize, the two processes that we're talking about is, is the health transformation, which is kind of signified with fat loss, and then this behavior psychological transformation, which is actually the real underlying transformation. Does that make sense? Does that answer your question? Or we've still got a bit more digging to do? It does. It does. But correct me if I'm wrong. So what I heard you say here that really stood out to me was function at a high level. And the bottom line, what you're saying yeah. is that both the fat loss and then the behavior change, they're all geared towards that. That's the end goal that we're trying to work yeah. towards here. Okay. Yeah. 100%. 100% with you. 100%. I mean, just to just to kind of jump back a touch. Yes, if if you are overweight, I don't think you can function optimally. And the only reason I'm a little bit gentler with my language is because there's a proportion of people who will not take the first step because of language, because of the language being used around this. And if I can include them in the fold, just by being a little bit sensitive then I can also get them to function at a high level just through slightly altered language and not being kind of like bang, bang, bang. So that's my thinking. 
My thinking is always subject to change. It's currently influenced by what's going on in the industry. Um, ultimately, I just want people to win. Yeah, I have a different school of thought. Yeah, we've discussed this before. It's yeah. super interesting. Yeah. Um, and, and you know what? Like, just to put out there, you can't help everyone. And not everyone wants to be helped. And you need to draw a line somewhere. And I think you've drawn a line in one place. I've drawn a line in, a, in another place. We'll attract and work with, you know, definitely a huge overlap of people, but there's maybe a 10% difference. Um, and, and that will be dynamic and variable over time. Like we all deviate one way or the other. I'll deviate one way or the other. Um, and you can't be, you can't pander too much because as I said, some people just don't want to be helped and actually that's okay. Yeah. To me, it's always been, my fear has been to actually alienate some of the people that really do want to do the work because they just want a real honest, called like hard nosed perspective on it. So they can say, oh, this is what it is and this is what I need to do. And my concern is that when I soften my language too much, it actually alienates them. And those are the people that are really ready to do the work. And that's why I make that choice intentionally. But anyway, we're getting a bit sidetracked. Let's go back to the... No, no, yeah. no, but this is, this is super relevant. And so, I mean, not to like get into a debate, but when I'm one-to-one -one with people, then I can go in savage because I know them. I know what level I can pitch it at. But as we get, let's call it higher up the funnel and more kind of wide, I just try and soften it a little bit because it, it's just hitting a wider audience. And I don't think that I'm alienating the kind of, you know, let's call them the elite grinders, the ones who just want to get it done. I don't think this alienates them. I think they can still resonate enough, but I might be wrong. Like, as I said, this is a dynamic thing, a learning process, iteration, whatever. Yeah, sounds good. Awesome. So two processes. One is the health transformation signified by fat loss, because that's the keyword, whatever. And the other one is the behavior change psychology, the, the real process. And essentially fat loss is easy. A lot of people have done it. The issue is that they rebound because they're using the wrong methods. And fundamentally, they're not building an identity shift. They're not building behavior. So they approach it with willpower. It works to a degree. And then they rebound. Everyone has a story of dropping five, 10 pounds and then going back to baseline or worse. So there's this underlying process of behavior change. And if you've read Atomic Habits, and I've spoken about this in previous episodes, it's an exponential change. And what essentially happens is that you build up habits and behaviors over time. They compound and you get this exponential growth. At some point, you hit an inflection point. That's identity shift. At that point, it becomes easier to do healthy behaviors which get you and keep you in shape healthy whatever you want to use and that's the real process and today i'm going to talk about a guy paul who i've actually worked with twice over a number of years and we've given not given up is the wrong word we've we've put aside the fat loss process and we're working exclusively on the behavior change process and again i've touched on this before but i wanted to bring it up as a real thing because this is possible to do um, on its own. And it's just an interesting insight for people who are listening. So let me ask this. Why did you put that aside? Was it because you already achieved the fat loss and it was time to move on or? Yeah, great question. So a little bit of backgrounds. When I first worked with Paul, we approached fat loss as the main thing. You know, pe people want to lose fat. So we were tracking calories. We were 
uh, doing exercise, doing all the things. And in the background, this behavior change process was going down almost subconsciously. And that's, that's basically how coaching works. Um, and then after a period of time, he reached his goal and we stopped working together after 12 months. And then in the meantime has been maybe two years. And in that time, he's been pulled back in to the diet industry and started doing keto and started cutting out certain foods and started eating clean and all this kind of stuff. And clean was in uh, air quotes, by the way, for anyone who's listening in. Clean, clean was in air quotes because clean is, is not really a concept which means anything. I mean, if you want to clean your food with soap, then crack on. But it's it's a pointless word. So yeah, air quotes as fuck. Wait, so um, there's a, you're saying there's no difference between eating, let's say, chicken breast and broccoli and brown rice as opposed to fried foods? No, no. I'm saying that in keto, fried foods are, are legit. Are oh, clean. okay. Okay. Wow. Well, okay. Never. In veganism, <laughs> chicken is dirty. I see. In okay. bro so bodybuilding, clean, clean chicken and broccoli is clean. Clean is just perspective to it's a perspective and, to the and culture diet you are subscribed to. A hundred percent. And you know okay. what? Like in my diets, I'm healthy by any measure, and I eat pizza now and again. So if I'm healthy and I eat pizza, does that make pizza clean? I mean, to me, it does because its benefits are social, tasty, all this other stuff, and I'm still healthy. So it, it means nothing. It's just easier to forget about it as a word and to use different words and different concepts than to you know, fuck around with, with the word clean and dirty and cheat and all this kind of uh, bullshit. So let me ask this, because this is, this is very interesting. So with pizza, for example, you don't view that as you're saying to yourself, you know what, as far as ratios, I'm going to eat, let's say, again, you're not going to like this word, but clean 90% of the time. And then I can have non-clean yeah. foods 10% of the time, like pizza, ice cream, and so on and so on. Because in the overall green, grand yeah. scheme of things, I'll still be healthy. Like, how do you break it down? Because so, pizza, pizza isn't something you would want to eat all the time, correct? You wouldn't feel good and... No, 100% not. But what we're talking about is the context of the whole diet. So you can't just look at one food. Because if you just ate chicken, you wouldn't be healthy. So no individual food is healthy. If you look at the whole diet, then yes, you can break it down into protein, carbs, fats, fiber, nutrition, blah, blah, blah. And if you take the whole diet and break it down, then yes, pizza can be part of a clean and air quotes diet. And if you break pizza down, it's wheat, it's, it's you know, literally fucking vegetable, tomato sauce, like vegetables on top, like again, meat on top. So the individual components aren't necessarily even bad but when you eat 3000 calories of pizza in one sitting and do that 4 days a week yeah that's an issue i see okay so you're you just saying half a pizza look on... higher level go higher level don't look at each specific food yet go higher level and this isn't just semantics because it doesn't serve you to look at things as clean as and dirty because that starts to build this black white on off 0 100 mentality which is basically a freaking eating disorder which feeds into diet culture, which then makes it almost impossible to make behavior change because you're not building long-term sustainable habits because pizza is bad. So that means you're not eating pizza when you're dieting, which means that when you live in the normal world, when you're finished dieting, when you want to just reintegrate into society and maintain, you've got this guilt over the last 12 months that pizza is bad. So either you don't eat it for the rest of your life, which I don't think is realistic in the modern world, or you have feelings of guilt and shame associated with pizza, which is a very fucking sad life. So just don't label it. Okay. It's not, it, it just doesn't serve you. And this is the behavior change process. Because if you're using unsustainable methods like keto, 
then you're not moving up the behavior change curve. You're not creating an identity shift unless you want to become keto Paul on Instagram and sell MCT oils and ketones. Like unless this is your thing and identity and, and going to be the rest of your life, it's not sustainable for most of us. So don't do things which aren't sustainable because they're not moving you up into an identity shift because you're not building habits and behaviors which make any sense in the long term. And the problem is people have tunnel vision and they say, I want to lose fat. And that's the only thing they see when what you, if you zoom out at the higher level, fat loss is just six months, 12 months in your whole life. It's such a negligible part of the rest of the process. And what you should actually be learning is how to maintain, because that's where you're going to be most of your life. And the fat loss is just an incidental part of it. And this is actually what we're doing with Paul. And we'll get to that um, in a moment. Itmar has his hand up, bless him. Question. So, yeah. Here's the thing. I get that what you're saying is that this isn't sustainable for life. But if we said that just losing a lot of, like, let's say if you have excess fat and it's weight, it's weighing you down, it's exhausting you. Have you found that it's not possible to get people to work in a certain way from month zero to six, get that fat loss, and then be able to hit the switch and go into sustainability mode? Is that just not, people don't function like that? You can do that. You can do that. Um, it's hard. It needs supervision. I've never seen anyone really do it on their own. I have had people come to me doing keto, have lost 20 kilos, and then um, I guide them in the rest of the way through normality. It's hard because you have to fight uh, months of disordered eating, essentially. Do you but think it's, it is possible. Do you think it's also because people don't know that there's a step in between? They just go like diet mode and then they go oh, back 100%. to normal life instead of saying there's diet 100%. mode, then there's learning how to reintegrate and then there's only reintegration. 100%. Is that the missing piece there? And that's what you provide basically that gap. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. We, 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 we provide that from the start. We're like, look, there's phases. The first phase is the fat loss phase that can, you know, be up, down, left, right. And then there's a, a maintenance reintegration phase. And then we put you on the next step to whatever your next goal is. It might be muscle gain. It might be running an Ironman. It might just be enjoying life and staying in shape. Yeah. Um, okay. But the other thing is that you don't have to do dumb shit methods. You can do it in a sustainable way from the start and still lose weight rapidly. I had a guy who came to me with keto and said, I want to do keto. And I said, look, there's another way where you eat ice cream. And he said, okay, let's try that. And this guy dropped a kilo, two pounds a week for 30 weeks. Like that's about the limit speed physiologically that you can lose fat and people will tell me yeah i lost five kilos in a week in, a, in two weeks you did water weight <laughs> you had a massive shit you, you dropped a load of water your carbs your muscles depleted of glycogen because you started keto or fasted you did not lose five kilos that five kilos is waiting in the ether to come back when you stop dieting so it's it's not fat you can't lose five kilos a week sustainably honestly in my experience if you're very very big maybe a kilo and a half, two kilos, maybe. But for the vast, vast, vast majority of people who are less than 100 kilos, 200 pounds, it's going to be half a kilo to a kilo a week. Max speed. And, and sometimes even less by the time we take into account real life. And I know entrepreneurs, we think we're superheroes. But once you've tried that 100 times and it's failed, like maybe let's try a different way. Okay. All right. So walk us down through these two processes, how this works. What's so fat loss about? Let's, let's, just, let's just hit, let's just hit. So Paul's first journey was mainly fat focused with behavior change in the background. He lost weight. He was super happy. We finished working together. He then had this interim period of a couple of years where he just got drawn back into the marketing. It's a multi-billion dollar industry. It's not surprising. 
and he started doing keto. And this meant that he started going backwards on the behavior change curve. And funnily enough, he didn't even continue on the fat loss curve because keto is hard, willpower, whatever, million and one reasons he couldn't do it. It was, he, he would eat keto in the week and then he would do cheap meals. He was really regressing on the behavior change. And I'm good friends with him. So I was gently trying to nudge him away from that. But in these cases, you can't go in hard because people get defensive and you alienate them. So again, kind of what I was saying earlier, uh, Itamar. So I just, I kept myself open. Can I challenge your belief around that? Yeah, you can, but this could become another 20 minute debate right, because I've enough. seen this a lot of times. Fair enough. Let's keep going. Maybe different day, different, different time, different day. Yeah. So I left myself open. I said, hey man, anytime you want to talk about this, let me know. I disagree with, with keto for these reasons. These are the positives to be fair, but I don't think they, they balance out. And he was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Eventually, I don't know, 18 months later, he was like, bro, you were right. And I was like, I know. And so then we started, we, we started the process again. And this time, because we'd worked together in the past, he knew how to do fat loss. And we started on the fat loss process. And I was doubling down on the behavior change part because I had to not only move him to an identity shift, but I had to reverse the last two years of disordered eating, essentially. Was he resistant not to that? Qualified. No, no, he was super open to it. But mm -hmm. when you have been telling yourself that pizza is bad for two years, me just telling him actually it's not bad isn't hard doesn't to cut it. Yeah, it's when hard I, to believe. It's hard to believe for sure. And I don't want people to believe me. I want people, I want it to come from within. I want people to understand this fundamentally from their fucking souls. Because me just telling them, oh, you should do this makes no difference. When it comes to it, when it's a Saturday night, you're tired and you just want to eat pizza and then feel guilty about it. So we started with, with the normal kind of fat loss, uh, tracking and whatever else. And what he was finding is there was a lot of resistance with, with tracking, with weighing, with all this kind of stuff. And every week we would say, these are the goals. He tried it, he couldn't hit them. And essentially he was getting really pissed off with, with himself because he was like, I take personal responsibility. My willpower is not strong enough. I don't have discipline. And I'm like, look, let's forget about the dieting process. You're exhausted. You're mentally fatigued from dieting because you've been trying and failing for two years. Let's forget about it. Let's focus just on behavior change. And then at some point, once you've rested from dieting and once you've reached a critical mass of behavior change, once you've started to approach a certain number of habits built in, put on autopilot and compounded for a certain amount of time, fat loss will happen automatically. And you'll be resting from diet mode. So at some point we might also be able to start implementing diet techniques to accelerate the process. But this isn't the priority. The priority now is pure behavior change. So that's what we started to do. Makes sense. Awesome. Now, what happened initially, and we're in this process right now, is he started to gain weight. Because I was like, you have unconditional permission to do what you want. You're a fucking adult. Eat what you want. Do what you want. Like, you know about protein. You know about vegetables. You know if you eat too much, you'll get fat. But do what you want. And that this is hard, but this is kind of the only way to move away from disordered eating. And look, I'm not, a, I'm not a disordered eating specialist. I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not a psychologist. If you have an actual eating disorder, you need to see a specialist. But all of us are on the spectrum of disordered eating just through the fact that we've ever dieted and been exposed to marketing in our lives. So on the spectrum, this is something we can reverse. This is something we can work on.
So then the process became, on the weekend, he would eat two waffles. He would go to a restaurant, order two waffles, eat them, awesome. And I would say, okay, tell me about the waffles. I love waffles, waffles are amazing. I ate the waffles and then I felt guilty, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay, first, you're an adult. You chose to eat the waffles. You ate the waffles. Why do you feel guilty? Oh, because you know I'm getting fat, blah, blah, blah. Forget about that. You, you are an adult, you chose to eat the waffles. So that's number one. There's no guilt or shame. Own that fucking decision. Two. Question. How were the waffles? Yeah, hit me. Why as an adult shouldn't he feel uh, regret or shame about something just because he made a decision about it? Is it not valid that he said, I made a decision and I do regret it and I do feel a bit embarrassed that I made the decision and acted foolish? Like that, that part you're, you've lost me a little bit on. So the interesting thing about the waffles and, and food is that people will make this decision repeatedly and then repeatedly feel guilty about it. And it makes no difference to the outcome. So they're, they're moving themselves into a victim perspective. They're like, oh, the waffles happened to me and I feel guilty and I feel bad. I don't ever want to do this again. And I don't know what to do. I, I'm, you, you learn helplessness because you keep saying, I want to stop eating waffles. And then you keep eating waffles. And this is a repeated pattern. So what I find is by owning the decision, people then take back the power to choose to stop eating the waffles. Does that make sense? It does. And I think that's what I was missing, that it's not necessarily you're telling them don't feel guilty about it, just own the decision that you made this decision to eat it. It's like, regardless if you feel guilty about it or not, it's like you still made that decision. It's like you didn't For just sure. fall into your lap. And, and people will feel guilt, but I'm saying that that emotion doesn't serve you. So like, just own it. And instead of feeling guilt and shame and becoming a victim, let's observe the process. Let's see what you can learn from it and let's iterate from next time because guilt actually gets in the way. Guilt and shame get in the way of moving away from this. This is what is instilled with diet culture. Waffles are bad, blah, blah, blah. I'm dieting in the week and then I'm rebounding on the weekend. So this is actually the crux of it. People don't want to eat two waffles. They've been conditioned like Pavlov's dog to eat two waffles because they restrict in the week, they have a cheat day, they think they want the waffles, they don't. And this is what I need to get people to realize, not just me telling them you don't want the waffles. They're like, yeah, I really want the waffles. And I'm like, but I can't tell them that. It doesn't work like that. So Paul, bro, tell me about the waffles. They were amazing. Okay, so the first bite, tell me about it. It was amazing, it was so, so good. Okay, the second bite, yeah, it was pretty good. And then, you know, the 10th bite, it was okay. It was, you know, I, I can't really remember it. Okay, and how did you feel afterwards? Oh, kind of sticky, kind of sick. I was quite full. And then I ate again later and it was, it was too much. I was like, okay, awesome. So maybe eating less would have been a more optimal outcome because people can see that they've been programmed to do this, to overeat, to binge, to kind of, uh, you know, as a, as a rebound emotional reaction. And people can also see that perhaps they don't enjoy the whole two waffles. So now you're starting to get this process where initially retrospectively, I'm reminding them that look, maybe you didn't enjoy it that much. Maybe you don't need two waffles. Maybe you fundamentally don't want two waffles. And I'm trying to bring it to a point where they are aware of this in the moment and then eventually aware of this before the act. And we spoke about this on your yeah. mindset so, course so literally you, recently. You know how, what's the moment in life that I had that kind of revelation that in the moment I was able to catch it? Tell me. So we've been doing these, this podcast for a while, right? And then we've been in Mexico. And when we were in Mexico, we were invited to a dinner with a bunch of entrepreneurs, and it was this big steakhouse. And everyone was like, let's just order these two giant platters of meat that have all this kind of variety or whatever may be in it. And 
it, we got a lot more meat than we expected. It was a lot more than what all of us needed times I two. I remember that, yeah. Yeah. And I started eating and you were sitting across from me. And I was feeling like I'm ready to be full, but this looks pretty good and it's in front of me. And I was about to reach for the, the big plate to get myself another piece of meat. And then in front of me, I see you sitting with this smug look on your face. Like, I know that I shouldn't be eating, so I'm not going to be eating right now. I know things these other people don't know. And it wasn't like <laughs> I was really trying to be a dick or anything, but I could see that you were like, okay, I know what's going on right now. I'm being intentional about it. I'm happy about myself. And I remember that look on your face and I was like, you know what? Maybe I don't need to eat anymore. This is a, it was a learning so, moment. Honestly. And I'm really glad that that happens. But just to reframe a few of the words. Like, it wasn't that I shouldn't be eating anymore. Yeah, that it won't serve it you. Was that the, the enjoyment is I gone, ate, and it's just eating now for gluttony. Exactly. It's actually going to make me... And I knew that if I ate exactly. a lot more meat, it was going to make me feel worse yeah. next day. Exactly. So it's not about should or shouldn't. It's I didn't want to, because yeah. it would reduce my experience of life. There wasn't any rule here which said I shouldn't do this. This would literally make my life worse. And yep. I strive to make my life better. I strive to, strive to enjoy it. And actually, when you overeat, this is chimp brain. This is you put a steak in front of a dog, it'll eat until it's sick. This is what we're activating. And actually, as humans, we have higher levels. And we can say, we can predict the future and say, this will probably make me feel like shit. So I'm going to stop now. And it's hard because you need to be conscious. You need to be uh, aware. And, and you've been programmed for the last 30, 40, 50 years, however old you are, that you should eat all the food. You should clear your plate, that cheap meals are fine, that all this bullshit. So and really, that's what we're trying to reverse. Yeah, so really all this behavior change comes about is how do you not reduce your experience of life in an intentional way? It's optimizing for enjoyment. Yeah. It's optimizing for enjoyment. And it's interesting because it, it's interesting how you say enjoyment. For me, that's never really clicked on the same level as my experience of life. It's like enjoyment, it sounds like it's to have fun, just to eat good food. Like you ever said, enjoyment, optimize enjoyment, I eat ice cream, I eat pizza, it's okay. But when you say it to really change my experience of, of life for the better, as far as also energy, as far as not feeling lethargic afterwards, feeling more, it's called fresh mentally. Yeah. That really clicks for me when you say it like that. And that is what I'm trying to access. I need it to click with people. I need people to come to me and say, I ate half my waffle, I was full, I really enjoyed it, and I stopped. Not because I told them to stop because it would make them fat, but because they didn't want to reduce their experience of life in the moment, and they owned it. Because only when that happens will this become sustainable. Otherwise it's willpower, otherwise it's bullshit, otherwise you're wasting 60% of your daily bandwidth on not eating waffles, when we need to reduce that to less than 5% so you can fucking enjoy life. So you can do all the things which are more important than fighting about whether you're going to eat a waffle or not. It's just so irrelevant that we just need to, to figure this out once and for all and put it on autopilot. And as you say, like I was sitting there like looking smug, like honestly, I wasn't because for me, this is so obvious, but also I know that other people don't do this. Like I'm not like, oh, I've figured this out. I've nailed it because for me, this is autopilot and I still overeat stress and environmental situations and things can cause it to happen. So we're not looking for perfection. We're just looking for improvements and just enough kind of awareness, um, consciousness, intentionality, that you incrementally improve life. It's like meditation. You don't expect the first time you meditate to be enlightened. And even after a million times, you don't really expect to be enlightened. You expect to get better, but not perfection all the time. That's like Buddha mode. 
It's the same with eating. We're not expecting perfection. We're just expecting to be better and to move higher and to, to experience life in a better way. So I realize we're getting on time-wise. I just want to kind of give us brief insight into this process with Paul and how this works. And then we can take some more questions and then, and then wrap this up. So with, with Paul, we have uh, calls every week and we, we celebrate the wins from the last week. And because we're not weighing, because we're not tracking, it has nothing to do with this. He exercises. We celebrate that every time. That's huge. Before he didn't exercise, now he exercises regularly, even when traveling, even when other things, he's figured out a system. Boom. This is a huge win. And then his weight has actually been creeping up because of Christmas, because of travel. That's awesome. That's fine. He's eating a little bit too much. It's not a problem. So what happened? Oh, so I, instead of ordering two starters, a main and two desserts, I ordered less. I gave myself permission to order more if I wanted it, but I didn't want it. So I ate a lot less. That's a huge win. Amazing. Good stuff. Oh, and then I, you know, ordered a pizza and then I stopped eating after a few slices because I was full. Amazing. That's a huge win. So all we're doing is we're celebrating these, these little positive moves. And it's not enough actually to cause fat loss at this point, but it doesn't matter because we're, we're, they're incredible improvements from before. And then I ask, okay, so what can you improve? And he's like, well, you know, I ate something, I ate a bit too much and I felt guilty. And I was like, okay, let's talk about that. And usually it's something where there's a social occasion, there's lots of food, there's something environmental that puts pressure on you not being conscious. And at that point, you can just say, look, this is chimp brain. This is putting a, you know, a steak in front of a puppy. Of course, it's going to eat it. So let's just observe what happened. Let's just say, okay, these are the reasons why this happened environmentally. This is what actually happened. I overate. How did you feel? At what point did that, did it stop? Did you stop enjoying it? So let's bring awareness to what happened without judgment. Observe without judgment. And then let's reflect on what we can perhaps do next time. Just as a third person, just watch it. Just be like, huh, that's interesting. And then once you've done that, you just keep doing that. You just keep doing that. And over time, you will reach a critical mass. And I said to him, him I said this to him on the last call. You can see that as you improve this, as you do this more often, you will get to a point where you're in a calorie deficit again because you're not eating too much. And then you will start losing weight automatically. And this will take a little bit of time. This will take, you know, potentially a long time, but it will happen. And that's what you need faith in. And this is where our calls come in because I keep bringing attention. I keep bringing awareness with things that people forget. And I then think, what I said is, look, sorry, Emil, just one sec. I think beyond what you're saying is that it'll happen. It's going to happen, but then it'll last. It's a part of you. It's not just a fad sprint diet that yeah. you did. That Do is it just, once. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's the key. Like this is a slow process, but it will happen and it will stick forever. Yeah. The only issue with this process is that you don't see tangible change. You can get demotivated and you can give up and you can go backwards because then you get pulled in by the bullshit marketing and you start doing keto again. So what I normally do is I normally layer fat loss on top because in fat loss, you see weekly changes. It's motivating. And that allows me to sneak the behavior change in the back door while you're motivated at the top end. And in an ideal world, you lose fat. It takes six months. You've got enough time in the background to get to a critical mass of identity shift so that it sticks. Mm, so those phases overlap at the best time. Exactly. They have to overlap. They have to overlap. With Paul, because the, he had such a 
he was fatigued of dieting. We didn't do the initial fat loss phase. And I explained this to him super bluntly. I said, look, you will achieve your result with just this behavior change, you know, these weekly check-ins, but it'll take time. At some point when you feel ready, we can start to apply pressure to cause fat loss just when you feel ready. And this will help with the motivation to continue with the behavior change long enough, the more important process to actually achieve your goal. And he said, I'm ready to start now. And I said, okay, well, I know you feel that way, but moving into the holidays, that's going to be tough. So instead of going straight in with tracking calories, weighing all the, you know, everything, guns blazing, entrepreneur zero or a hundred, I'm just going to suggest two positive changes. When you eat, start thinking about protein start thinking about vegetables. That's all. We're not going to track it. We're not going to do anything about it. But what this will do is this will help a little bit to reduce the calories slightly because you'll feel fuller eating protein and veg. It'll increase the health of the diet. And this, this is zero restriction. So this isn't going um, to move you back into that disordered eating spectrum. This is, these are positive changes. The behavior change is happening. You might start to lose body fat you might not and that's okay we don't we don't mind at this point but you're still resting from the fatigue of dieting and then in the future maybe in january when the whole world the energy of the world is for fat loss then we might consider maybe tracking food without a goal or something we might instigate something we might not but as long as this behavior change keeps happening all i want to do is make sure that he stays motivated long enough for the behavior change to happen and sometimes fat loss can help with that yep makes sense Makes sense. I can understand. They're saying that the two processes, the way I take it really, is that there's two phases. And you have to make sure that you're getting which phase correctly and that they overlap in a certain way. Otherwise, it's not going to be motivation. And if you don't have the motivation, you're not going to make it happen. You're not going to stick with it. Correct. That's, that's the optimal way of doing it. You can just do it through behavior change, but you can't just do it through fat loss. That's the key. Because willpower will run out. Yeah. And so to elaborate on that, you can't do it just through fat loss. You can, in theory, do it just through the behavioral change. However, what you're saying is that most people need the boost of motivation of fat loss. Correct. Exactly. To make behavioral change actually happen and last yeah. and get to that point where they actually start seeing yeah. the results and they're still on board with it. Correct. Great. And actually, there's people who have the behaviors and they come to me and say, I want to I wanna diet, I want to do X, Y, Z. And I'm super careful with these people because I don't want to break the behaviors that they have by putting them on, you know, a severe diet, which will move them in the opposite direction. They're already in a great place. And often for these people, I'll just like for yourself, I'll just give some very like high level advice. Just consider more protein and, you know, vegetables. Just like I put a little bit of knowledge. I don't say track your food, weigh yourself, measure yourself, but because it, you don't need that. You're in a really good place. You just need a few tweaks, maybe a bit of knowledge, and that's all. And for these people, often you don't need coaching. Yeah. You just need, this is the missing piece of the puzzle. Take this away for six months, come back, and I don't think you're going to need anything else. Yeah, that's fair. You just told me to go have a chicken salad instead of my regular lunch. That was it. <laughs> that was it. Yeah. Like no disordered eating, no, no discipline, willpower. It was just an easy swap. You got into the condition you wanted with minimal effort, no stress, no guilt, no shame. If I can achieve that, I, I, that's better for me. I don't, I don't want to take money from you because yep. it would really, really like, I don't want to break people. Yeah. So can I sum up the, the episode, kind of what I've learned today, how I look at from my Please, perspective? For sure. So again, there's, you call it two processes within fat loss. I'm going to call it two different phases you go through. One phase yep. is from months zero until forever. 
That's the behavioral yep. change. And one month is from month zero through six, basically, mostly for the most part. However long it takes. Yeah. However long it takes. Yeah. But the thing is, the the phase of weight of a sorry the weight loss phase the fat loss phase that's not going to take you all the way home and last forever however it might motivate you enough to really get on board with the behavioral change and keep you patient enough because you are seeing results so you don't just abandon and say i want a better fix i want a better fix a quicker fix a magic pill that i see in all the dieting marketing that's the first thing um the second thing is that labels don't serve you in the long term like eating clean eating healthy whatever it may be because they create insustainable kind of patterns in your brain. And because you're going to think pizza is unhealthy, unclean, whatever it may be, once you are all of a sudden exposed to pizza, it's going to mess with you a little bit on an internal level. Yeah. Correct? Guilt and shame. Low, yeah. low energy emotions. Yeah. And again, you've said this a lot of times that you try to maximize for enjoyment in life. I've always interpreted that as enjoyment in the moment. Like, I like to enjoy my ice cream. I like to enjoy this pizza. And honestly, that's a lot, a lot why I haven't been able to get on board with it. And I've had some kind of internal disagreements with what you're saying. But for me, anyway, it clicks much better when you say either to reduce or increase your experience of life. Because that gives a bigger picture than just enjoyment. So that was, for me, something that clicked. Um, and something I wanted to add as kind of a mindset trick, what you were saying, it's your chimp brain, or is it you, what's going on right now when you're seeing all this like food in front of you? What I've noticed a lot of times for people, it's hard to ask themselves, what's going on here? Is this my reptilian brain asking? Or is what's going on? But what's a lot easier for them is to just say, is this me acting or is this my lesser self, my more primal self? When they can just differentiate themselves into two beings, is this my evolved self thinking right now and acting? Or is this my primal self doing something that I know I'm going to regret? They can say, ah, this is my lesser self. And it just makes it easier for people in the moment to see who's actually has the driving wheel in their brain. Is it their evolved self or their lesser self? So that's something that I found that I wanted to share that could be very useful for a lot of people. I, I love that. And chimp brain, lizard brain, reptilian brain, lesser self, they're all the same concept and same thing. And then just to add a layer of nuance onto that, you might identify that it's chimp brain, lesser self who's operating. You might then still let them drive and eat too much food at the buffet that is fine. That is okay. If you beat yourself up, you will get zero lessons from it. So no guilt, no shame. Observe as a third party, watching a guinea pig, watching a, a, a rat in a lab and just be like, huh, this is interesting. I knew that I shouldn't have overeaten or that it was my chimp brain. I still did it. Why did that happen? How did I feel? Approach it with curiosity, reflect on it. Don't beat yourself up. And only when you don't beat yourself up, can you actually form a platform for improvement. Does that make sense? It does. It's again, I will say this honestly, that is not I, I do not fully agree with that, but it makes sense and I can understand where you're coming from. On another episode, we will another episode. take that apart and, and become aligned. Exactly. All right, guys. Thank you for listening to today's episode. We will see you on the next one where I will be talking about a concept called the humility to eliminate, about one of my clients, why he was an extremely gifted, extremely talented person who's already seen a lot of results in life. But he had to recognize and he had to own up to the fact that he has to be humble enough to recognize his own limitations as well in order to get to where he really wants to and what that created in his life. So we'll see you then, guys. Awesome. See you guys next week.